Hey, it's Beyond the View. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on the time of the day that you're watching or, or listening, that's I guess. Faith, that's a faithful, statement. faithful statement yeah. for Beyond the Pew. And I want everybody to know Pastor Bruce today is on a rush. So we're going to dive in this quick because he has many things to do is what he said. Listen. That's what you said prior to this. I said I have things to do. So let's get going. And also I want to point out that you're wearing a lot of blue today. Ironically, I, I did this on purpose. No, you did I not. Yes, I did. Mm. Because the last time we had our View on the View session, you were decked out with, may I say, though, a, a you know, uniform blue. That's like right. Like it was all the same color blue. Because of, I believe shoes, in unity. Pants, sweatshirt, <laughs> hat, and you had a blue Bible. And so yeah. today I wore various shades of blue. Of blue. I, I have dark well, blue pants, but I also have like different colors of what, blue. What kind of shades? Do you know their names? Different colors. I don't know. I Come on, don't shades. act like you don't know. Different shades of blue. Um, but no one can see anyhow, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, take our name. You are very word. coordinated. Take your word for it. Your sweatshirt and your, your shoes, though. You did that on purpose. Yeah. It's very good. It's very yeah. stylish. Yeah. So beyond the pew, we have beyond some the pew. we have some news. Some news, so, some very exciting news. Well, I don't know if I would say it's exciting. This might know. be disappointing for some people. It might um, be exciting because is it this, exciting for you? It, um, <laughs> I don't know. So with summer approaching, uh, you and I both are doing quite a bit of traveling we over are. the summer uh, with missions trips and different um, things that are happening. And so we'll be we'll be here MIA. and and everywhere. Um, yeah. So MIA, um, mm-hmm. as it relates to consistency for uh, the Beyond the Pew podcast recording. So what we are going to do is we're going to take a little bit of break. Uh, this will be our final session of Beyond the Pew um, until we start back weekly again in the fall. So after, in the summer, fall. after the summer. And it gives um, you an, an opportunity to catch a rest. Yeah, take a break. Get caught take up. Take a break. Get caught up. On previous Beyond the Pew. Because we Pews. have shot how many at this point? There's we have shot like... I have no Fitting. idea. I have no idea, but there's quite a bit. Yeah, and you know. so here's what our thinking is. Um, we will probably have maybe a couple of standalone special editions of Beyond the Pew over the summer. Uh, so you'll be watching for those, hopefully. You'll be interested, those of you that listen. And we will start things back up probably, I would say, in August, maybe the very beginning of September after summer commences. And we're back to our schedules where we're back here uh, consistently where we can we can uh, record these. So um, that's the plan. So yeah. today, what we're doing is we're fielding some of the questions. We are we receive uh, tons of questions, believe it or not, yes. from uh, different individuals. Yes, uh, so many that we are not able to answer them all today. Yes. So what and we're going to do? Part of that, yeah. Part of that, you want to just plan that what is what we're doing with? Well, this. I was just going to say today we're going to answer a few of them, get to through some of the questions. We'll plan on answering. That's how we'll kind of kick things off, I think, maybe in the fall, um, is with the questions and seeking to get through some of those when we start back up. Um, and again, if we have any standalone Beyond the Pew sessions over the summer, we can try to hit one or two questions during those as well, um, in addition to whatever we'll be talking about. Mm-hmm. So um, why don't we dive in, because Eric's in yeah. a rush today. Um, he has a lot yeah. going on. I have a lot of a lot things of going things on. happening. I, that was my statement um, coming in, right? Was that my statement, Pastor Bruce? Uh, yeah. Or yep. was that your statement? Nope. So the first question... <laughs> First question, I think, is, you know, we had a couple questions submitted by uh, one of our faithful listeners, and uh, yeah, all around the world. All around and the world, from Alaska, Jamaica Hawaii. to yes. Uruguay. I, I don't know about that, but yeah. um, first question, somewhat of an a, um, impossible question to answer, 
right? Yeah. But was the question's based upon a Revelation twenty one fourteen? Do you have that passage by the way in front of you? If Revelation not, if what? not, I will get it. If I, if you, I have it, it's fine. Revelation chapter twenty one and verse fourteen says this. It says, on the wall of the city, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. It's talking about the New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21, and it speaks about the wall of the city had 12 foundations, on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles Mm -hmm. of the Lamb. And so the question was asked, is the 12th apostle, whose name will be there, uh, Matthias... Or Paul. Or Paul. Um, who is the apostle's name that's going to be there? And as a sub-point to the question, it was asked, while Matthias was chosen by the 11 disciples, the account in Acts does not appear to condone it explicitly, and there may be an argument that that was done because of a lack of patience by Peter. Some people yeah. claim Peter kind of rushed the process of making Matthias an apostle, and was he basically legitimately an apostle, was that meant to be the case before God that he should be one of the 12 apostles? Um, or would it make more sense that Paul, who was directly called by the Lord to be an apostle, is it his name that's going to be there? Just curious. Um, you want to take that one first? You want me to take that one Yeah, first? we can both hit Go it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to hit it. Yeah. Uh, and if you're hearing this and you don't know the context, it's coming from the context that Jesus chose 12 disciples. And uh, as history will show, and the Bible speaks about this, one of the disciples, Judah, uh, betrayed Jesus. And as part of his betrayal... Judas. Judas. That's what I said. Judas. Judah. But Judas. Judas. Just so it's not confusing. Judas. Judas. uh, With an S at the end. J-U-D-A-S. Judas. uh, Judas. Uh, I'm trying to think in the earlier language, but no, that's all. I just... That's all the two I know. Anyways, that he betrayed Jesus, and as a result... As you could expect, he's not longer considered one of the 12 disciples. So after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, now the disciples were left with 11. So they decided, okay, we got an acting, uh, We have on one spot that needs to be filled. Who are we going to pick? And so obviously I'm putting it in a colloquial way. But the passage that is referenced to is to Acts 1, verse 21 through 26. That reads like this. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken out from us, one of those of these men must become with us a witness to his res- must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So you're already seeing kind of the criteria. They're laying the, the criteria of what is it they're looking. They're looking for a man that had been following them or that had been following Jesus from the very beginning, but also a man that had witnessed, eyewitness, not by third, uh, you know, by, you know, but that they were there physically. First-hand eyewitness. First-hand eyewitness that the res- of the resurrection of Jesus. And so as a result with this criteria, they brought up two names. They say, they and they put forward two, Joseph Carr Barsabas, which some people say that this is Barnabas. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's you can say either or not, but some people believe that that's Bar- is referring to Bar- uh, Barnabas, and then uh, and then he who all, was also called Judas, and then Matthias, and so then they prayed and said, "You Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go into his own place, and they cast lots for them, and the, and the lot fell on Matthias." And he was a number with the 11 apostles. Yes. So that's the passage where they chose Matthias as a 12. Yeah. And in there, you see something that they're using, which is like casting lots. And so 
in today's age, we will say that casting lot is not the is not the proper way of seeking God's wisdom. But back then, we have to recognize that in the Old Testament, even God Himself will command the Israelites to do such things as a way to figure out God's direction and God's wisdom. So in this instance, the, the the discipleship, the leaders of the church at the time, they didn't have the 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 Bible, the complete Bible that we have today, and the the Holy Spirit was not working in the capacity that it was working for us today, and so. In light of that, they didn't have the full access to direction and guidance for God. So it was not seen as the casting lot as something that was not, that was bad to do. So in their eyes, they're, they're coming before Lord and they're asking Lord, hey, these are two men that meet that criteria, that they follow Jesus from the very beginning and they also witness the resurrection of Jesus. Which one of these two men should we pick? And they cast lots and they look at the lot landing on Matthias as an answer from the Lord, so the sovereignty of Lord choosing Matthias, not the disciples of Jesus choosing Matthias. Now, there is not a commendation or there's not there's not approval or disapproval of this event through, throughout any other passage in the Bible. And even when you bring Paul into the picture, Paul doesn't, doesn't disapprove of that or make any mention of those things. Now, the view or the hard thing with this view is because there's not a hard, true passage that says, you know, yes, it's Matthias or yes, it's, uh, Paul, we can we only go with what we have. And so the way that I would answer this question is that I personally, even though we don't know for certain, I personally feel that Matthias would have been the will be the twelve disciple that included, not as an act of impatience, not as an act of uh they were scared, but more of in their desire to fill a role that needed to be filled, they seek out God and they ask for his direction, and as they were casting lot. Got allowed and made it clear to them that this was an individual that needed to place. Some argue that one of the reasons why Paul couldn't be a disciple was because Paul didn't follow Jesus throughout his ministry, and Paul also was not present in the resurrection. And so you're specifically talking about being an apostle, not a disciple, but an apostle. An apostle, sorry, yeah, an apostle, so, yep, not labeled like a, as one of the one of those. Yep. Yeah, one of the the, the, the specific criteria to be an apostle. Yeah. And so, I think this is one of those things that we will know for certain when we're in heaven. Yeah. I tend I tend to lean more on the yes Matthias because the disciples and the apostles of Jesus picked Matthias yep. and there was no condemnation that there's not like a backtrack there's nothing that will speak against that yeah um, but that's where I hold my view I don't know what do you want to add something or maybe challenge something yeah so I, I I agree with you on much of what you said there in particular to the specific of the answer is it Paul or is it Matthias that's going to be one of the twelve there listed or named there we don't know. Um, we don't know for certain. Anybody who says they know for certain, I would I would want to hear the argument yeah. right, of how they know. I would say I don't know for certain. No one can really know for certain. There's arguments made on both accounts. But what I think we have to do is in the question about Matthias or Paul, one of the reasons that was given about I don't think it's Matthias, the person who wrote this question, yeah. was because there is an argument that Matthias was not necessarily the one that God had planned to be one of the 12 apostles, right? Yeah. It, that that Peter in his, um, you know, kind of impatience... In his humanity. Thought, ...thought, we need to pick another apostle right away to fill Judas's yeah. spot, and all along God had Paul in mind for that position, and they chose Matthias, and what are we going to do? So I, I would just caution that in a couple ways. First, what you've already read in Acts chapter 1, in verse 26, after it says they cast the lots, it says, they cast lots for them, the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So... 
Matthias was numbered with the apostles. In other words, he was considered to be an apostle, right? He was numbered with the apostles. He would have been in that group of recognized people called to be apostles. And I think we have to understand, too, this is at the very early stage of the establishing of the church. And and this is something that, you know, the day of Pentecost is, is soon coming. Yeah. And the church is going to be um, formed. It's going to be established. And the apostles... Their teaching, their doctrine, their leadership, their their the power that the apostles would put on full display in the spirit of God is going to be foundational yeah. in the establishing of the church. And so, to me, the argument that what just happened in Acts chapter one of Matthias becoming one of the, labeled with the apostles, if that wasn't God's plan, I don't believe God would be the author of confusion by yeah. allowing an un. Uh, you know, uh, uh, an unapproved individual to be numbered, numbered. in the very and establishing approved. of the church as one of those that were going to be listened to yeah. with authority. But later on, chapter 2, um, this is what's interesting to me, is later on, chapter 2, verses 41 to 43, it says, those who received his word, speaking about Peter's preaching um, at, at Pentecost, it says, those that received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42 of chapter 2 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. So when it says the apostles' teaching, guess who would have been included in that? Matthias. Matthias, right? He Matthias. would have been included because he was numbered with them. And it says, all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Guess who would have been included in that? Matthias. Matthias. So I think the argument to say, man, Peter did this, he rushed it, and Matthias wasn't part of God's plan— that's a very strange way for God to allow the establishing of the church yeah. to begin by having a quote-unquote imposter, if you will, or an unqualified individual that God didn't want numbered amongst the apostles, which he was, and that would have been included then as someone who would have been seen as authoritative in in the church. Yeah. And, and so I think that's a hard argument to make that he wasn't truly um, by God chosen to be labeled or, or numbered yeah. in there. So and, I say and, and that— and that's why, like, I think, that, like, again, we go into this with not un with uncertainty as far yes. as like for like we are not able to find for one hundred percent who is going to be the twelve. But I do think that, like, when we look at what happens in the in, in Acts one, we have to look at it and understand that, like, that that the process that they did together was not a. Uh, a ridiculous process. You see how you can even see in those few verses how tedious it, it was. They, they, they said, we have this criteria. They need to follow Jesus from the very beginning of, of his ministry, and they have need to be firsthand eyewitness of his resurrection. That there right there would have, say, would have uh, um, eliminated a lot of possible candidates. Yes. And so much so that they only had two names. And the disciples didn't immediately say, okay, well, let's add both of them. They both meet the criteria. They know them, or you don't see them saying, hey, okay, well, I like I like this guy better over the other guy. You see that they seeked out a practice that up to that point was not seen as a terrible thing to do. No, now, and, and Peter's even quoting Psalms. Right? Yeah. He's, he's referencing back to the passage in Psalms, and it's in Acts chapter 1, verse 20, when he says it's written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, speaking of Judas, yeah. and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office, yeah. in this office of apostleship, right? So Peter's referencing something in the Psalms that's specific to what they're doing right here, and as you mentioned, you know, Matthias would have been one that met the criteria of it says, they accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from mm -hmm. us. So 
Matthias would have been one of those individuals that it sounds as though the entire earthly ministry of Jesus, he was yeah. following, he was there. He never, you know, fell away. And he was not a stranger. And like, I yeah. think, and I think now this is more like a, a human logical argument. All right. You like you, you, we talk about like the, the, the idea that this individuals are, we're going to establish the foundation of the church. Yeah. And so they couldn't, they shouldn't have been strangers. They should have been individuals that were easily recognized. Yes. That just like Peter, when he denied Jesus three times, that people were able to recognize him and say, hey, this is the one that followed him. Aren't you the one who followed him? Don't you, you sound like those guys. There were individuals that were recognizable. And so Matthias, or Matthias, however you say it, in Spanish is Matthias, he, 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 he would have been one that would have met those criteria yeah. to be able to establish, you know, the church. And, and Peter's whole foundation for the choosing of another apostle all the way back in verse 15 of chapter one is when peter said he stood up and said listen the scriptures make it clear like this is what's going to happen yeah and and so they they now i understand the argument that while paul was coming along and what about god's not the author of confusion right so even with ananias and sapphira that we see in acts when they lied to god they lied to god about an offering to god and god struck struck them dead right something as serious as this that in the establishing of the church and the authority of the apostles, adding someone that shouldn't be there, Jesus is more than capable of preserving the purity of his church. Well, you and, see it. Uh, you see in the book of Acts that there were individuals that called themselves uh, leaders of the church, sure. and, and they get they get uh, what is the word I'm thinking? Like I written like come. Oh my word! I just blanked out. What was that word like? They get challenged on and they get sure. apprehended by it. You yeah. know. Well, and clearly Paul's position as apostle is defended in scripture, uh, but I think you you have both defended. I think Matthias was very much defended because he was included in their number, and what would have went with that is all the authority yeah. the apostles demonstrated. But then Paul also, you know, we looked at this in 1 Corinthians where Paul defends his apostleship, and he says, you're my proof yeah. that I'm an apostle and that that God is working through me. So all, the, all that to circle back to the question of whose name is going to be there, I see argument to be made for either either one. Um, and we don't know the answer to that, and yeah. I don't think we will know the answer to that. But yeah. you know, someone's yeah. name will be there. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> will be there. But who yeah. we don't know. So, yeah. good question. Great question. Uh, I believe the same individual had questions referring to this. Uh, I'm going to read his statement. He says, "I'm not sure if NBC, referring to Maranatha Bible Church, has their belief on this published somewhere. But I was wondering why we do not have deaconesses in our churches. Deaconesses will be female deacons." Uh, serving in the female, serving in the role of deacon, when there are biblical examples of them, for instance, Phoebe, and then there is a lot of historical evidence of female deacons in the early church. From what I can see, we only have men as deacons, and this seems like we are reading the rules of elders into the rules for deacons, possibly. So I wanted to hear your thoughts. That's everything that he states there. Uh, to begin with. So, uh, the question I have for you, and, and I think you will be the best one to answer this because not only you are our associate pastor, uh, MVP associate pastor, uh, minister of the God of, War, or of the, of the word of God who cheers for the bills. Uh, I don't very know. important, very <laughs> important to include all that. Yes. But I think that most importantly, you are an elder in our church. And by elder, we mean that you're part of a board of men that have been entrusted to oversee the spiritual health and the spiritual direction of Maranatha Bible Church. So you guys are the ones that are making this decision. So for sure. How would you answer this? Yeah. And so there's there's two, you know, there's it's a multifaceted question. Yeah, because okay? the second thing he says is 
if Marietta does not place women in the role of deacons, then what are the biblical and or practical reasons for this? Sure. So there's a number of, of questions within those questions, yeah. okay, that have to be answered. Um, and so I'll try to do it succinctly. I think first establish Acts chapter 6. This is where we first see this role and office of deacon uh, being established. It says in Acts chapter 6, In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, it says full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Taman, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests came obedient to the faith. So in the first establishing of deacons in the book of Acts, when this was first established in the book of Acts, and the establishing of the early church, there was a specific reason that deacons, the office of deacon was established, and that was because they needed men, it said, choose for yourself men who are of a good reputation that will be able to meet the practical needs of widows that were being neglected, okay? Mm-hmm. So there was a reason for it. It was to be servants. To, the word deacon literally means servant, yeah. but they were, they were to be servants but they were identified individuals that had qualifications for a position or office that they would be recognized in. Mm-hmm. So the first establishing of this, there's the choosing of men for this role of leadership, okay? There's an argument that has been made, and I think the person mentioned it, but in Romans chapter 16, it makes reference to Phoebe, and Phoebe is referenced in Romans chapter 16 as a deacon, the same word that's used for deacon is used there of Phoebe, which again means servant, and it says this, I commend you. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church, and it it references her as a servant of the church, and it's, again, the same word. Now, that's where some people would say, okay, because it's uh, the same word, or servant, they would make it to be that this is a position of servant or a deaconess, which is where some some churches put this in the position of leadership, that this was just like deacons are men, deaconesses are women, because Phoebe was a woman and she's referred to as a deacon, then that means that there are deaconesses that should be in the church. And so that's the argument that's made. I I think it's a fair argument people make. Um, and I know that there are churches, Bible-believing churches, churches that we that we have supported and that we are um, in partnership with in different ways who have deaconesses. Yeah. We at Maranatha have chosen not to. Now, I would say that we've chosen not to largely due to the fact that there appears to be um, specifically an elevation of male leadership in the church as it relates to the oversight and authority of the church seems to be specific all throughout the New Testament scriptures that that is a position that that is is reserved for men when it comes to positions of authority within the church and oversight within the church, mm-hmm. specifically in the regards to teaching and oversight within the church. When it comes to deacons, again, the first establishing was in Acts chapter 6. It says literally in the passage, choose for yourselves seven men who are of good reputation. So even from the establishing of this, it was men that were chosen. I think it's true the argument could be made that there were deaconesses 
in the early church, and that's why I would see that there is room for churches to have the position of deaconesses personally um, if what we mean by deaconesses are servants within the body of Christ. The question becomes, do you need both the position as far as recognized authoritative position of deaconess, or are we specifically talking about the practical role of a deaconess or a deacon or servant that is is serving within the church? That's the question surrounding Phoebe in Romans 16. Was Paul identifying Phoebe as someone who was a known servant in the church because she was faithfully serving, or was Paul recognizing Phoebe as a position of leadership deaconess in the church? We don't know. We don't know the answer to that. So I think at Maranatha, we have chosen to err on the side of caution when it comes to who we have serving in the position of elder and deacon. Um, we have erred on the side of reserving those two leadership positions for men. Um, are there churches that also have uh, women serving in the role of deacon as deaconesses? They do. Would we say they're biblically wrong for that? I don't believe we would say they're biblically wrong. I would say that we have chosen to err on the side of of having only men in those two particular positions of leadership in the church. Um, will that ever change? I don't know. I, yeah. the, the Word of God doesn't change, right? And and so I believe that, you know, we would have to evaluate that and talk through that if we were ever going to make a change. But I will say this, um, women are, are promoted and accepted and sought after to serve in all kinds of various yeah. ways in the church. And Maranatha... That, that is important to understand yes. that we're not saying that women are of lesser value no, not or, at all. or, or it's, worth. It goes back to the specifics of, for the office of deacon and the office of elder, do we have clear instruction that those offices were reserved for men? We do. Do we have clear instruction that those offices were specifically for women? We don't. Mm -hmm. Um, there's conjecture with Phoebe that she would be the position of deaconess. Mm -hmm. Do we know that for sure? No, because Paul could be referring to her as a deacon in regards to a servant Servant. of the church. Um, And so, you know, it depends on someone's interpretation. But to answer the question, Maranatha does does not have deaconesses as it relates to the office. They do have deaconesses as it relates to women who are serving within the body and carrying out that function and serving one another. We have a lot of women who are doing so that. So what would be some practical examples of ways of, uh, if you're a female and you're a temer not uh, for you to to serve, and what, what are some examples of capacity that they can yeah, serve? Yeah, so I mean, look at our staff, like our, our ministry staff. We have two women serving on our ministry staff in ministry roles over children and over women. Mm-hmm. So we believe that the Bible would reserve any kind of authoritative teaching rule that involves teaching over men or mixed company for, for male leadership. But we believe women are not restricted from being able to teach within the church, etc., as long as it's not in a way that is exercising teaching authority over a man. So we have two women that are on our ministry staff that are over our children's ministry, that are over our women's ministries. We have women within our church, primarily women within our church, that are serving in administrative roles within our ministry mm-hmm. that are are hugely involved as it yeah. relates to the ministry of the church. Um, we, have, we have women serving in Bible studies as Bible study teachers, as Bible study leaders, women serving in capacities on Sunday morning. When you look at all the ministries that are happening within the church, greeters, welcome center individuals, youth, youth uh, leaders, yeah. youth, uh, small 
small group um, leaders as far as some of the small groups that are happening. Discipleship groups. Discipleship groups that are taking place. So women are serving in all kinds of capacities. If you look up on Sunday morning on stage, we have women serving on stage in our worship ministry. We have women who we use from time to time on Sunday mornings that will pray. In, in the church, women who will read scripture in the church, women who will, you know, uh, give testimony in the church. We have women um, in, in all these various roles. And so I think that there's sometimes a tendency to focus just on, well, what can they not do? And, and it's very limited as far as what we would see biblically in the church that women um, would not be encouraged to participate in. And exclusively, it seems like it would be in that role of elder and we would lean more towards not, you know, not again, because we feel like it's necessarily biblically outlawed um, uh, that we don't have women serving in the specific office of deacon, again, simply because we don't have clear-cut instruction that mm. women should serve in that capacity. Um, but I also see, like I said, the argument of why some churches do allow women to serve as deaconesses. And I believe if a woman's serving in that particular role where she's not in a teaching or authoritative role over men— I don't believe that there's a violation there of biblical authority or scripture. Yeah. It's just as a church, we've chosen not to have women serve in that capacity of recognized office of deacon. Um, and again, all kinds of other ways that women serve within the body. And I think the primary argument most people use about deaconesses is that passage in Romans chapter 16 about Phoebe. But everything is being hinged on that one word that she's referred to as a, a, deaconess a servant. Or deacon. Yeah, or, yeah, or a servant. Yeah. And that question of office or, you know, role. role. Yeah. And and that's the question that has to be answered. And so, yeah, yeah that's why we've yeah. chosen to, to land on the one side of, I think, caution, but also um, wanting to make sure that we're in line. And, and mm -hmm. we don't fault other ministries that would have deaconesses so long as they're not serving in a capacity that is specifically forbidden in Scripture. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a good, awesome. another great question, yeah, great question that was asked. So um, we had another question that was asked, um, a few questions actually, but one that I want to get to, and it was in regards to uh, our discussion in Romans 13 about government. Mm -hmm. And so someone had asked about, um, you know, what really constitutes a legitimate government? And in addition to that, um, you know, are there limitations to government in any way? And I think we hit some of that when we talked, yeah. but I think that's kind of the maybe the sticking point of what limits government anyway. And some he asked this question. He said, "In other nations, um, if a warlord takes over and is in power, um, is he a legitimate authority, or is the elected appointed leader still the authority? Who do I obey in that regard?" And so, um, do you want to tackle that a little bit, or you want me to jump into that first? Yeah, I mean, I don't mind tackling it. I think. I'll give you an ex. Uh, here's the thing. I think that Romans 13 talks about clear, clearly states this, you know, let every person be subject to the government, governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that are six have been instituted by God, like without continuing reading. I think that verse just there, that verse right there, kind of clearly covers that question in that, you know, it doesn't say. If it's only instituted by God, if it is voted by people, it is only instituted by God if it is put there fairly. We look at that verse and we would say, like, you know, looking into God as a sovereign being as a, or as a sovereign God, you know, he's in control of every little aspect. We will say that he is in control of the ones that are voting in a position of authority, but he's also in control of those that, you know, get to a position of authority 
and the Rome ways, you know. And so I think back of the Dominican Republic where I'm from, and I remember uh, I I had I didn't I wasn't alive, but my parents were. And so I would hear my grandma was alive during this time. We had a dictator that came to power by, um, you know, a, a coup. Is that what you call it? Like a mm-hmm. coup, like a military coup. He came to power, and he was a very extremist dictator. His name was Trujillo. And, you know, at that time, he was responsible of the, of the whole Dominican country. And so you could not make a case that he was not the authority because otherwise you had to, you know, your life was at stake. Like people were getting killed, were getting destroyed. So who put him in that position? Was he not be put there by God? Well, if you, if I believe that God is truly sovereign, if I read that verse for what it says, then I have to, I have to come to the conclusion that God institutes everyone. You know, I would, I'll just read it. So I'm not, I don't do a misjustice that let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority. No authority, and I feel like that clearly clears any doubts. There's no authority except from God, and those that it says have been instituted by God. So even a dictator like him, I will make the case that for whatever reason, he was instituted by God. In the New Test, in the in the in the Old Testament, you see example even within the nation of Israel that the nation of Israel they rebel against God. God will bring nations that will be oppressive nations to come in control of the, of the nation of Israel. You see the Babylonians, you see the Persian, and nowhere you see a commend a condemnation from God. Instead, you see that the nation of Israel had to endure those things because of their action. So we have to understand that. You know, if it is true that they're instituted by God, then it will mean whether it's legitimate in human sides or illegitimate in human sides. Yeah. So in light of that, I guess the way that I and I think we covered this, I think the way that I would say how uh, to what point do you follow government's uh, authority, and at what point do you follow God opposed to following man? And I think that it's the line where what government is requiring you to do clearly opposes what the Bible tells us to do. If there is a contradiction, if there is a commandment, if there is something that is stated that not preference, know uh, what we think in our human mind is right or not, know what we feel good or not. If there is something that is clearly stated in the Bible and the government clearly tells us not to do, if there's a contradiction, I would all, always follow men. Yeah. I feel like there is room. You mean for, follow God. Or follow God, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah no, no. <laughs> Otherwise, we're getting somebody else in here. <laughs> that's, that's the case. No, follow yeah. God. And so I feel like that will be a criteria of, how we do this now. I think the challenge is that, you know, we all have our own personal preference and opinion and it can be easy. Not always. And I'm not saying I'm not faulting people to do this, but it does happen that the government comes with something and they say something that we don't like. And we immediately feel the urge. Well, that's wrong. I'm not going to follow that. I'm going to, because I'm going to follow God. But again, you look at Romans 13, the context in which it was written. And this was the worst government that you could probably imagine yeah. corrupt roman government with nero being the emperor the worst uh emperor to ever be in the history of rome and so we have to understand that yeah and so i i think again with this question like the previous questions which are good questions it's a multifaceted answer right so the question of is there limits uh to government and and the authority of government absolutely right it's not without limit yeah um and i think you cited it correctly of we obey God rather than that. It's what in Acts chapter 5, right? So yeah. in Acts chapter 5, you have uh, the apostles being 
beaten because they're preaching the name of Christ. In verse 27 and 29, it says, When they brought them in, they set them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here, here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. So they made something abundantly clear to those that were in authority over them, that had the authority and power to bring them in before the council mm-hmm. and to put them in jail. They made abundantly clear to those that were in authority over them, which they would believe had been put there by God, that when it comes to this matter, we obey God rather than men. So the limits of government are very clear, that we would never violate the law of God because of our obedience to the laws of men. And and again, the apostles established that. But I think the other thing that, that has to go with this is that believers, and this is what's tough in our current day and age, we have to also have the understanding that in our obeying of the governing authorities over us, um, when we disobey the governing authorities over us because of our obedience to God, we also then have to be okay with the reality of the punishment of the consequence that comes from our obedience to God. And so later on in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 to 42, it says, when they called the apostles in, they beat them. They charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Yeah. So, And then it says they went out day to day and continued preaching. But they also had an acceptance of the reality of the punishment that followed because of the evil rulers that were over them yeah. for their obedience to God. And so multifaceted question. Yeah. And, Are there and- limits to government? Absolutely when they violate the law of God, as believers, we are completely justified in our disobedience to government when that government asks us to disobey God and his word. And so we obey God. The the specific, though, of the question then, who who do we obey in, in regards to the situation you talked about or specifically what they asked? Like if there's an established elected appointed leader still in authority, but then there's a warlord that's seeking to take over power. Who do we obey in that? I think this goes back to God being a God of order, that God would still want the believer to obey the elected appointed leader that is established as the leader of that country or that whatever. Because the very point of government that God institutes in Romans 13 is is for order, and it's to punish the evildoer. And so that's where I feel like we would obey those that are in legitimate authority over us as appointed by God rather than an evil individual who by their own actions are actually going against what God's word says in the takeover of of the ruler. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think trying to obey or follow an individual who is doing evil um, is in direct violation of the very purpose of government to begin with. Yeah. But even then, and and I think this is something that, you know, like America, be, being in America, I've, I, I've been blessed to see the beauty of a government. And even though where we had today, we may not be as happy or content. But America is an is a, is a is a country that was founded on the institution of we the people, right? Right? Like it's for sure. the people, you know, led by people, right? Like uh, by the people for the people by the people, of the people. F- yeah, but yeah, say that again. <laughs> of the people, for the people, people by, the, by people, the people, or by the people, of the people, for the and people. And that is unique. Like, you don't see that in many places in the world. And, like, coming from my culture, like, and even though my country is a democratic and democracy, democratic in the sense that there's democracy, um, you you still see that, that government holds so much power. But yeah. no one in the country beats an eye. Like, it doesn't, it's not like, 
I'm, I'm normal. Like you, that's the way of life that you grew up here. But in America, we have been blessed with so much freedom, so many amendments, so many things that protect us as individuals that allows us to do things that, uh, you know, in other places you will never be allowed. And so whenever we are faced with an authority that try to restrain some of those things, people can, you can be appalled by that, but you know, just a recognition that that's not the case throughout the world. Like I said, that like in my country with my grandma, the dictators, that, that dictator that was alive, you know, she had no choice. It was like, even though he he came to a position of evil doing, like she has no choice than to follow and to obey. And even in that moment, that individual, whether he was right or not, he was the one that was in a but position. But he would of, have been recognized as the, he official, was a, as the official the official leader of that country, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's where I'm saying there's yeah. a difference between that and there being an official, legitimate individual that is the recognized leader, and then a warlord who wants to come in and take over while yeah. that leader is still in that position. Yeah, there, there seems to be a discrepancy from the very outset then of what the purpose of government is. Because another example would have been, which is happened after he came to power, they kill him, and there was like a revolt, and there was a fear that the Dominican Republic will turn into another communist country like Cuba. Yeah. And so we actually had the presence of the U.S. Army storming the country, trying to bring control and trying to establish leadership. And so that was not well received. We created a fight between Dominicans and the, and the American country for like a few months. Uh, but that would have been an example that they did not seem, they did not look at Americans as, oh, you're going to be our new authority. Sure. You know, sure. they remain with their own government. Sure. So... With these questions, another question that came with it is questions like, um, do I obey if my mayor is saying one thing and the president says something else? Uh, if a police officer shows up at my door and demands to search my house without a warrant, do I obey him or should I appeal to the Constitution? What happens when the government's own orders or laws contradict themselves uh, and what's clearly written in the Constitution? Is the Constitution our authority or is the current president our authority? So these kind of questions, and, I, and that's where I feel like we have to look at what Scripture says is our authority. So what does Scripture say about all these things specifically? Well, much of these things Scripture doesn't specifically say. <laughs> if a police officer is knocking at your door and wants to search your home and doesn't have a warrant, do you let him or not, right? Yeah. Or do I appeal to the Constitution? Um, so we established the authority of government as given by God. We've established there are limits to the government's authority when it would contradict or cause us to violate our conscience before God or the Word of God. When it comes to all of these lesser matters or intricate matters— Take, for example, of do I let a police officer search my home without a warrant or do I appeal to the Constitution? That's up to the individual. Um, that's completely up to the person whose who's home is being you know, knocked on. Do I think someone would be justified in saying to a police officer wanting to search their home without a warrant that's a violation of the Constitution, they can appeal to the Constitution? Sure, you can appeal to the Constitution. Sure, you can have that conviction and appeal to the law of the land. But you also have to recognize that your appeal to that and standing on that could be costly to you. And as long as you're okay with that, yeah. then tell them you're not coming to my house. And if it means that they're going to whatever, let them do it. Or you can choose if you want to and your conscience before God allows to say, yeah, you don't have a warrant. I have nothing to hide. And the principle of the Constitution isn't something that right now I'm going to make a big deal. So go ahead and search it. That's up to the individual yeah. um, in, in what they want to allow. right? But as far as it relates to specifically what does God say about that matter, I, I think very clearly the more – specific answer that we could have from scripture is if a police officer comes to you with a warrant 
that the law of the land permits him because it's been ordered by a judge to search yeah. your home. That's where I would have a hard time defending someone who says, no, even though the law permits you to do this, and it's not necessarily a violation of my conscience before God or the scriptures, I refuse to allow you to let you do I'm this. I'm going to follow God. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like there are all of these questions about, you know, is the Constitution our authority or is the president our authority? Um, well, the law of the land would be the Constitution, right? So that's where I understand the appeal yeah. that many people make to the Constitution as their authority when the government even violates the Constitution. Is there a responsibility on the part of the Christian to follow the government when the government is contradicting its own law? Um, and those are the kind of questions that I think are individual conscience questions for the believer to determine to what level or extent they are willing to allow certain things that take place in their own lives, and what is it that God and the conscience before God does not allow them to. And everybody's mm. different in regards to that. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems like that there is freedom in that, biblically, to where your conscience before God is. And and so I would never tell someone violate their conscience before the Lord. I think we can firmly establish the reality that Scripture is our authority. Government definitely has limits, but I think sometimes we can— we can read our own yeah. desires and wants into that as well. So. And I think that, like, in the in the apostles and even Paul, you see a great example of men that were willing to to be faithful to God, recognizing that what they were doing was in contradiction with the governments, and they were faithful to God and being willing to take whatever was the consequence. Yes. That's a victory. Well, not only were they willing, but it says in Acts they rejoiced. They rejoiced. They rejoiced yeah. they were kind of worthy to suffer. Philippians, as he's talking to the church, it's like, hey, don't count this as a uh, – like, I count this as a joy. This is a blessing because of the further the furtherment of the gospel. Yeah. And this is another thing. Like, you see these men that are opposing government, quote, unquote, right? But they're not doing – they're not doing as activists. Not, I'm not speaking ill if you do those things. But I'm saying, like, what you see in the Bible, what they were doing is that they were they were themselves not being offensive. It was their message, what they were preaching, what they were proclaiming, was so offensive to those that were against it that that caused them to deal with the things that they were dealing. But you see them that the message that they were proclaiming is what Paul says in Roman one uh, sixteen. For uh, uh, for uh, how does he say? For I'm not ashamed of the message of the gospel. For his uh, how does he go? Uh, I'm not for, ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God and salvation, salvation. You know, for everyone that, who believes. Who believe in it. It's like to, to boldly share that message. That's what drove them. You know, That's yeah. what was so uh, offensive to the government or to the authorities back then. It's that message of the gospel. And so for us, you know, as a side note, to also be mindful that that's, that, that that's the thing. Like there's not a, a call to, to take down governments or to do any of those things. Now you can, you can you know, at your own liberty, your own wisdom, your own discernment, Oppose what you want to oppose. I'm not telling anyone not to do, but keep that in mind. The example that we have in the yes. Bible, and I and I do see the logic that people use or espouse when they say, when individuals who are in positions of leadership within our nation are they themselves in direct violation of the law of our land and their direct opposition to the Constitution of the United States, that there's a desire on their part to see those individuals no longer in positions of authority in government because they themselves are violating the governing authority that is even over them. 
that makes sense to me, right? Yeah. That makes I think there's, there's arguments that could be made on that. I think what we have to understand in the midst of all this, though, is not losing sight of the fact that God is sovereignly in control. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the Lord, who, who we've already read passages about this, that Institute. sets up kings and takes them down. He's the Lord that establishes and the one who takes takes down. And so there is a sense of trust and sovereignty of God and all that. But uh, definitely it's a, it's a complex issue, and it's not a clear black and white this is when you do, this is when you don't, this is when you do, this yeah. is when, in all these areas. But the firmly established, you know, uh, statements in Romans 13 and Acts chapter uh, 5 that we read and some of the things that we're looking at, we obey God rather than men. But at the same time, we obey the governing authority over us so long as that doesn't violate that. And um, and there are limit, definitely limitations yeah. to it. So, yeah. Um, we're almost at an hour. I think we're. Yeah. I think we're going to wrap things up here. This is um, probably one of the longest ones. It, it is. It yeah. is. So a lot of we, we have we a bunch. Have the, a these, these were great questions. Um, and so if people have more questions, three three zero three three one six four five three, they can text them in. We will try to hit a couple of beyond the pews over the course of the summer. Some special Randomly, editions. No, no special editions. No announcements. They're just going to just going to pop up. Appear. Special editions, and special then we'll start. Ups. We'll start it back up in the fall on a weekly basis. Hmm. Email or text your questions if you have questions on that and. Um, let us know what they are. Comment below uh, from the uh, podcast or whatever on YouTube. Uh, put it in the chat line mm-hmm. there. Um, but Professor we Bruce, before we uh, uh, end yes. our time together, what has been your favorite thing with this podcast this, thus far? Uh, I think it's all I know your... that you're thrilled. I don't know that every time you show up, you're super thrilled. You're excited. You, uh, yes. You're ready. You're never tired. So someone in, of that wow. stature. Wow. Listen, um, I feel like I've been very energetic. Yeah. yeah I feel like the last... Let's be honest. The last maybe two months, it took it's for, been it took for a you, group of individuals to been, lovely encourage you've been, you to you've be. Been the last, I would say the last two months. You've just no, been, it's just that you finally like you, mashed me. You like finally been, um, mashed my level sleeping. of excitement. So it's not look, it doesn't look like that I'm extra excited. Nah, it's just I that you finally mashed my enthusiasm. You've been, you've been, but don't, eh, don't change the topic. Uh, eh, what has been your favorite thing? Guests. The guests that we've had on the program. Wow. Yeah. I think Nathan Eckberg, um, you know, obviously Steve, uh, Butch, Tommy that you had in from Word of Life. Uh, he brought a sense of professionalism from you that we yeah, haven't seen in a while. Yeah, good morning, everybody. How are you doing um, today? Yes, you were, very, you were very professional when that happened. So all that. How about you? Favorite part? Uh, I did like guests. Uh, I, I, I like the memories that we created here. So many memories. So many memories. Yeah, because though we're like dying. We're not, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> we're taking a break for the summer because we're, we're going to be like here well, and there. That's what I want to say. Missions trips and all this other stuff. Say, we're not leaving. We're coming well, back. No, special editions over the summer. We'll be back. We'll be back. You know, like, we do want to like ask, Terminator. though. I got to wrap this up. I got things to do. We, let's yeah, wrap this up. That's how you started. What is the thing that we want to ask every single week? What do we ask? Pastor Eric Gill, what do we ask every single week? Como es tu vida uh, después? <laughs> yeah. You can't even do it in Spanish. I don't even what, know the word for the, view. What is Spanish. your life like? What, lo- look like be- what does your life look like beyond the pew? We hope Listen, it I is don't know how you say pew in Spanish. Honoring so. to the Lord. No, we no. will see you again. Thank you for listening. We'll be back. <laughs> Bye-bye.